Yes, it would be nice. What would? You and I making love. Is that what you think I was thinking? There's nothing wrong with admitting that you want me, Frank. You take life for granted. Hi, I'm Daryl. And I'm Petros. And welcome to episode five of Getting Defoe You from Heaven's Gate to the present day. Join us as we get to know Willem Defoe in this dedicated Defoe podcast. So, episode five, we're already at the halfway point of the season, Petros. Tell me right now. How has this happened? Well, we're we're slinking into it. I think we're kind of... We're in the groove as a kind of unit. Not just me and you, the the guests, the the listeners. We're all all vibing, hopefully. Hopefully we've got the the Swifties on board by now. We've got got the the ear of Wang Chung by now. We're we're kind of... Maybe Defoe's people are kind of going... Hey, you heard about these guys? They do it. They're doing this podcast about you. Uh, well, these these are all pipe dreams, but yeah, uh, God knows, God knows how we've got it by a wing and a prayer, my friend. By a wing and a prayer. By a wing and a prayer and a wang and a chung. Here we are at episode five, baby, and uh, it's about time that we got to some um, some uh, erotic thrillers. Some may say down the allotments. So you know the way the way this season has fallen, we've gotten political films we've got some dramas we've got some comedies we've got some animation and this is our first of two and i'll use big air quotes here quote unquote erotic thrillers as well Mm. Uh, did we ever have willem dafoe painted as an absolute babe yes we did (laughs) um and i think this film kind of uh goes in some directions i wasn't quite expecting dafoe madonna who thought not me petros did you think would you would you be seeing uh, William Defoe raw dogging so early in the show? No, uh, we're getting we're getting hot wax. We're getting an even hotter Defoe with body of evidence. We're in, we're and we're getting some subtle courtroom drama stuff as well. It's kind of it's it's a hodgepodge like this season, like this podcast itself, like us as as people. This is a this is a hodgepodge affair of 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 a film that we're 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 going to be getting into. Look as we. As life changes with the seasons, as every carriage of the Defoe commotion train has a mood for every occasion, now it's time to get a, a little bit down and dirty at the midway point as well. So there's going to be, you know, a, a lot of hot topics in this hot film. We're talking about Madonna and her femme fatale portrayal in this one. Was this a vanity project for Madonna? We're talking about hot courtroom topics and even hotter Defoe. We're talking hot wax. We're talking hot banging scenes in broken glass <laughs> on the bonnets of cars. You know, spicy books are all the rage these days. So maybe, maybe it's time for us now, not just the Swifties, to try and tap into that spicy book market as well. There are so many fingers in so many pies. Who would have thought? What a time to be alive. Yeah. Um, We've got a couple of great guests for this one as well, right? In Rich, Rich and Catherine from the Do You Want Me podcast. Who, uh, it was it was delightful to, to have Catherine on, especially. Rich, no offence. But she is, a, she is a fountain of knowledge when it comes to Madonna. And uh, let's be honest, it would have been a weird affair if this was free men talking about this erotic thriller it would have been a lot of lot of lot of, <laughs> lot of fire rubbing yeah you would have just heard the sound of chafing in the sound <laughs> recording, which nobody 
want at all. But I'll tell you what the people do want before we get into the episode as ever. Petros, I defer to you now to give the people those Defoe socials. So you can find us on all of the socials. So that is Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Fred. Who's heard of it? Well, we have at Defoe You Pod. Uh, we'll be hanging out. We'll be we'll be we'll be answering your questions. We'll be having a little chit chat with you there, the dear listeners. Or you can drop us an email at defoeupod at gmail.com delightful so without further ado let's get into it it is episode five it is body of evidence enjoy have a good time and we'll see you on the other side Ta-ta. hello listeners it is i the all-seeing editor known as matt i have appeared from my cave to inform you that we unfortunately lost some of rich's audio towards the end we're sorry for the lack of a defriend or defoe from him, but I assure you it was very witty and thought out. Enjoy the show. Getting to foe you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. It is 1993, and we turn our attention to the erotic thriller Body of Evidence. Here, Defoe plays Frank Delaney, a lawyer tasked with defending his client following a sexually charged mishap. Now, helping us get to know Defoe a little better this week and see if this movie is evidently for everybody or leaves enough evidence to be locked up forever are Katrin Lowe and Rich Nelson, hosts of the Don't You Want Me podcast. Uh, both, thank you so much for joining. How are you both doing today on this hot, hot day? Oh, well, if you hear thunder at my end, it's because, yeah, there's a lot of uh, thunderstorming going on over here in Cheshire. So. And uh, there's a lot of crackling, just at the very prospect of talking about this film. <laughs> Uh, a, a golden era, which I'm sure we'll go into. I, I am currently, I've currently got a sweat patch on my chest uh, that is reminiscent of uh, hot wax and cold champagne being poured down me. So I'm, 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 feel, I'm feeling great, Dara. I'm feeling charged up. To this film. <laughs> is that is that a belt I can see binding you as well there through the camera? <laughs> I knew I should have turned the camera off. Oh no! <laughs> good lord, good lord! The uh, the sun has affected us in all all many uh, a way today. <laughs> but as we're always keen to know at the start of these episodes, uh, we ask our, our guests, um, "How well do you sort of both know Defoe? You know, we're talking your first Defoe film. Do you know how many? What are your general views on the man we call Mister Willem Defoe? Katrin, uh, start with yourself." Defoe, uh, what's your what's your Defoe story? So I think the first uh, Willem Defoe film that I saw was Crybaby, the John Waters fifties pastiche, and uh, yeah, I love that film. Um, my father really really liked that film, so he quite often would put it on. I think I've probably seen about five Willem Defoe films, all in all. So I'm not a massive expert on his work, but I think he's quite a sexy actor. And, mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, pretty multifaceted yeah it's going to be really interesting talking about his role in this one today I think because some of his sort of core qualities I think possibly fly in the face of the character that he's playing in this one Mm. so I'm looking forward to talking to you all about that yeah delightful and rich yourself um I think the first one I saw was clear and present danger 
Um, oh. I went to see that at the cinema. Um, obviously, he wasn't the uh, the tentpole there. Say, so, but um, I think my I guess my my favourite one of his would be I don't know. I'm kind of torn between American Psycho and um, I, it's probably easy low hanging fruit to say uh, Spider Man. Oh, yeah. Something of a podcaster myself, but it's um, <laughs> he he kind of I mean he's being the villain there very much steals the show and he's turned it up to eleven. But um, but yeah, I think those and, and the way in an American Psycho and I think part of it's the editing. But I think one of the scenes is interrogating Christian Bale and he's mm. so different in each cut because they filmed it three different times. But he's three different personas. It's just fantastic. And uh, yeah, it's always good. I, I saw To Live and Die in LA quite recently for the first time. And uh, yeah, very oh, yes. magnetic in that. Yeah. Sultry. Oh yeah, we covered that earlier on in this season. And it's... It, Daryl, you said, this is your first time watching it, right? For, for this yeah. season, you were like, it's now your entire personality. You want to be <laughs> in LA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of Hawaiian shirts anyway. And some would say, oh, well, maybe it's just the ADHD or the autism talking. But no, I want to be, I identify as an 80s cop. Um, and I won't hear anything else. But also, I've been playing like, the Wang Chung soundtrack for about non-stop since we recorded that episode. Wonderful. So my... M- my end of year Spotify is going to be so Wang centric. <laughs> Wang up to the max. <laughs> Maximum Wangage is what we're what I'm aiming for on the end of year wrap up there. But no, I think obviously Spider Man you mentioned there, Rich. I think we and Petros have been saying this. We kind of anticipate to hear Spider Man on every episode, and gleefully so. So it's always it's always interesting to come to a film like this where he, he isn't um you know a full fledged villain outside of being a marital villain I, sh- I I will hasten to add there um, <laughs> obviously we will we will get into that as well but before we do it's one of my favorite portions of the podcast where we hand over now to Petros and Petros it's time for the facts and the figures. Oh, have I got some defacts and defigures for you. This film is directed by Yuli Adele and written by Brad Meerman. The film stars Madonna, Joe Mantegna, Anne Archer, Julianne Moore, Jürgen Prochnow, and our boy, Willem Dafoe. Uh, Notable crew on this film. This film is produced by Dino De Laurentiis, who many people may know as just being a kind of stalwart of... 80s production just churning films out left right and center i like to think of him in the same way as the guy who had halloween well there's a couple of people in the 80s whose names sound like they don't actually exist and they are front for money laundering and you know de Laurentiis <laughs> is one of them uh, this film was released on the 15th of january 1993 there is a 9th of january release date as well but that's one theater in new york so i'm I'm not taking that i'm taking the 15th when this went wide and it was made on a budget of 30 million dollars and had a total box office return of 38 million dollars only making 18 million dollars in america not not good Uh, It has an IMDb score of 4.5 out of 10, currently holding a Rotten Tomato score of 8% off of 38 reviews with an audience score of 32, 30, 30, no, I'm getting my numbers mixed up, 23% with over 5,000 
audience reviews. And the critic consensus is body of evidences, sex scenes may be kinky, but the ludicrous concept is further undone by the ridiculous dialogue. Our first Defoe sighting in this film is at 4 minutes and 55 seconds as he exits a car at a funeral. And his first line is, excuse me, before it just like drifts into nothingness. You can't hear the, 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 the next portion of his conversation as he talks to a mourner at this funeral. And that is your defects. And you're the figures. Uh, thank you ever so much. Uh, so the synopsis for Body of Evidence, and it's slightly different synopsis, differently worded depending on where you look. I've got the verbatim description as per Amazon Prime, where I watch this, hashtag not on ad, and it says, After a night of unbridled passion, Rebecca Carlson, played by Madonna, finds herself on trial. Now it's up to her attorney, Willem Dafoe, to prove her innocence, but the road to truth may prove to have as many curves as his seductive client. Oh, scandalous. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? I was like, oh, 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 90s films, they're a thing that happened. You know, certainly for our guests, I'll throw this out there for yourselves. And of course, we'll break it down a little by little as we go on. But is this one that you've seen before? And do you sort of recall, you know, your, your first impressions of Body of Evidence? I've seen this film before because I'm part of the Madonna fandom and nice. yes and have been since I was a kid so I think I right. I will have seen this when it I, I suppose I must have seen it when it first came on TV because you know I would have been just across all of all of Madonna's content at the time mm. and I think it felt a little bit sort of as if it wasn't quite true to the sort of ethos of the rest of Madonna's work in in some ways even though it kind of played on a lot of elements of what Madonna was known for at the time like I can remember in, at the end of 92 Simon Bates did a big interview with Madonna on Radio 1 and he introduced it by saying Madonna sexual crusader or dirty big girl's blouse <laughs> um, it's just this kind of really strange time where she was you know just everyone was talking about how shocking madonna was and how much she was going to sort of push it in terms of her career and i think that mm. this this turned out to maybe be just that one little bit of a step too far in terms of that kind of you know theme in her career that um sort sure. of, yeah and because the next album she released was bedtime stories which is probably one of the most sort of um tame albums that madonna's ever released in terms of you know, the sexual content i mean so yeah well I, I imagine you can speak to this as as a madonna fan uh Katrin. it does it somewhat feel like this film is a just a way to promote her 1992 album erotica and her book her, her coffee table book brilliantly titled sex it feels like it feels like a body of evidence is is a way to kind of like do you know what I mean triangulate that and just be like how can i sell more records and sell more copies of this book let's do a sexy film yes and i think that she may well have been inspired to take the role because i think some some reviewers at the time thought that sharon stone's uh performance in basic instinct might have kind of been actually a little bit inspired by kind of some of the you know imagery and atmosphere around madonna's work at the time so it was i can see how if you could see because i think that sharon stone's performance in basic instinct is fantastic it's so great and i can see how madonna might have thought mm -hmm. oh well you know maybe i can I can sort of emulate that. So I think you're right that it was part of wanting to kind of promote that album. But I think that as a Madonna fan is what makes it sort of slightly 
uncomfortable to watch because <laughs> even though it's playing into elements of her, unlike Madonna's other work where she'd have so much creative control because that was something about Madonna, you know, she didn't let other people take the reins from her at any point. With this film, she doesn't have creative control, but people quite often refer to it as something that's Madonna's piece of work, but she's in it but she hasn't written it. You know, she's not the director. It's, it's She's only got so much to do with it, if you know what I mean. But I think you're absolutely right in that part of the reason that she would have been in it was because it, you know, fitted really well thematically to some of the other things she was releasing at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, this is something, you know, me and Petros were saying before record. We will get into this because if it is to be believed, the IMDb trivia is sensational um, <laughs> for this film. But obviously before we take that curveball uh rich sort of same question to yourself your first impressions on body of evidence uh, it's strange because there's a couple of different elements to it which are so of its time and you think that it's both an erotic thriller at the time when erotic thrillers were kind of mainstream really i mean you had basic instinct and you were getting into was it sliver was another one and mm-hmm. you'd had fatal attraction just before that and i think the indecent proposal that kind of thing and it was weird because this was clearly I don't know, it just had that vibe of, you know, the sort of rubbish they put on Channel 5 on a Thursday night, except they've got massive names and some sort of coming up A-list actors and things like that. But you've also got the merging of another kind of 90s theme of movie, which was a courtroom drama. So that you've then sort of, it's almost like you've stuck Basic Instinct next to A Few Good Men. And (laughs) it's like the, the bastard child of two of those. And... It's such a strange watch because, again, you know, everyone watches it because Madonna gets naked in it and it's part of that era. Yet, when you look at it now, there's so much of it that's just TV, movie, courtroom stuff, albeit with big performances from, from the legal team. Oh, the, the courtroom stuff in this is beautiful. The fact that every single witness like plays for both teams basically they're called i've never seen a film where they're like d- like day one it's like i call this person to the stand and then the prosecution a few days later will be like well i call that person to the stand because we've found some like damning evidence and, and it goes back and forth like tennis match and it's i've never heard so many objections as well and possibly the sassiest judge in film and tv history oh absolutely i mean it is it is like a weird mesh of like two films because it's kind of like at one point i was like oh here's here's kind of the crux of the film has or has not madonna rode this man to death uh, what's going on with the Defoe factor? And then suddenly it's like, oh, it's a, it's, it's the courtroom bit. This is a bit, this is a bit boring. Just sitting round like Madonna, like obviously the um, very much a centerpiece of this film. And I think with her performance, you can kind of tell that she's reciting lines rather than acting, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'd, I've not seen enough of her acting work to sort of judge the broad, the broad brushstrokes of you know her acting abilities. But I think some of the reviews I sort of glean for this online, a lot of it's kind of Madonna saying lines and then she's kind of just sat down observing i think that one of the best ways that kind of sums up her performance for me there's a bit where uh defoe was like uh delaney goes into her luxurious boathouse and he's looking for her and she just appears from the shadows behind him i was like oh fuck it's madonna um, <laughs> that's kind of what summed up sort of her her performance for me and i and i sort of you know i suppose like past this question i suppose you first cat being the uh madonna expert of of the group here today i mean for her performance i mean did you find anything more forgiving on it uh, forgiving in it being a fan or did you sort of take any sort of exception with the performance that she sort of gives 
in um the runtime of this movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I know what you're saying completely. I don't think that she's in her element, and I think it is a quite an interesting contrast with someone like Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct, where I was thinking about how these different performers even though they might have a similar ethos, if you put them in different mediums, just how some some of them really shine and others don't, because, you know, if you watch something like Madonna's Vogue video, which is directed by David Fincher, she looks so confident and, you know, the camera absolutely loves her and she's, you know, sort of harking back to all of these film, you know, starlets when she's in that video. And so it's very kind of filmic on, on every single level. However, if you put her in a film like this, where all of her sort of style and everything is harking back to, you know, Hitchcock, this, that, the other, it, it doesn't necessarily work. I mean, there, I think there are moments where it works a little bit better than others, like as you say, the beginning at the funeral, the delivery of the kind of lines at that point is very stilted. But then there are moments where she's given lines that feel a little bit more like Madonna, like the moment where she says, I've never used cocaine in Oregon, for instance. And, you know, I never know why men lie. They just do men lie. And those moments where the sort of camera is right on her and you can sort of imagine her delivering those things as kind of lyrics or something and that then she feels much more at home I think but you know in the same well or possibly the year before this yeah I think it was 92 Penny Marshall's League of Their Own came out and she's fantastic mm-hmm. in the League of Their Own you know and as you say that it's not it's not sort of filmed in a way where Madonna being Madonna is distracting in that movie um she's just a good member of the team and yeah and I also think she's great in Desperately Seeking Susan so I think that Madonna needed you know, a good director. And she's also pretty good in Levita, I think. And Alan Parker is such a fantastic director. I think that she can take some responsibility for this, but certainly not all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And same same sort of point to you, Rich. Uh, I mean, how did you sort of find her performance to be? And obviously, one of the sort of the reasons I bring it up, again, obviously, she's um one of the main characters in this movie. And, you know, some say that this was very much a, like a vanity project for her. And, you know, we don't like bringing them up on the podcast, but the Razzies of of 94 were all over this movie as well. A point I certainly want to raise for another reason momentarily. But Madonna's performance for you, Rich, sort of how did you sort of get on with it yourself? Again, like Kat, I think she, say she, Madonna, I think Madonna enjoyed clearly parts of it and and I'll say some some of those lines, but I think there was, there were huge parts of it where, and whether it was the direction or, or just her, just kind of think, just sit there, look like Madonna and talk like Madonna and the rest of the magic will kind of work around itself. And, and you think about the the cast. I mean, you've got so many big actors there doing a lot of heavy lifting. I mean, we joke about the courtroom scenes and things like that. But, you know, it's difficult when a film like that is should be more than the sum of its parts. And yet, when we're talking about Madonna's parts, and, and we, I'm sure we'll go into that later with the <laughs> stuff. But, um, <laughs> sorry. But um, I, I do feel, you know, I, I don't want to, it's easy to punch down on her. And I mean, you know, with some of the things that she's done, I mean, like die another day, for example, I mean, it was more like a glorified cameo there, but you know, but she has done really good stuff and she has been really good in the right role. And I think this was just, I think the problem with, with her role in particular here, and it it was just so you could take Madonna out of it and stick in one of 20 other actresses of the time. And it would have been pretty similar. And the, the kind of, interest in it is because it's madonna sure 
And I think I think that's that's kind of the issue with it. And I think because, as, as Kat mentioned, she didn't have this kind of ownership of it, and it wasn't like it just felt so much like she was kind of there to be looked at. And I know that was kind of part of the role, but it just didn't feel like she really had the the magnetism, especially when Willem Dafoe was on good form and. Joe Magtedner in the court was like, you know, full on fat Tony. And it's brilliant. But, you know, with, with her, it just didn't feel like she was able to express herself in any way other than what she was told to do and kind of working with, let's be honest, an incredibly limited script. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me let me give you a quote from that script. A summation of uh, Rebecca Coulson as a character. She's a beautiful woman. But when this trial is over, you'll see her no differently than a gun or a knife. <laughs> Or any other instrument used as a weapon. She's a killer and the worst kind. A killer who disguised herself as a loving partner. Can we talk about the fact that this film poses the idea that a woman fucked a man to death? Is that is that crime? Just being too good at sex? <laughs> Go on, officer, slap the cuffs on me for being an absolute mega dude. <laughs> slap the cuffs on me for being too cool. I mean, that's that's the crux, is that the idea is that I suppose she's been fucking men to death to get their, the money that she's, for lack of a better term, she's romanticised out of them in the will. And then I think one of my issues with sort of this... You know, not that it couldn't have been an intriguing plot point or anything like that in the film. Even without looking too much into the movie and going into this one blind, as we often try to do uh, with these episodes, I never really felt in any doubt that Madonna was guilty, if that makes sense. I felt like it, there was always going to be some kind of reveal towards the end that would say, yeah, she did it. Did, was there anyone, and I'll throw it up, open to the room here, was was there anyone who was, uh, you know, locked into the courtroom drama of this and thought, you know, I think I think she's I think she's innocent. I, I think she's going to get a, get away with this. I think this is the issue with courtroom dramas, really, in that too much emphasis, and bear in mind this is a film about Madonna shagging guys to death, there's too much emphasis on legal procedure. And it's all about of beyond reasonable doubt, the balance of probabilities, cause, motive, all this stuff. It's like, this film's over 100 minutes long. It doesn't need to be. Um, essentially, like you say, we're waiting for a reveal at the end. It's just kind of like, right, we know she did it, but who was her accomplice? Yeah. Let's see, let's yeah. see that how this one played out. Because everyone knows she did it, but all we're waiting for is the, you know, the Cluedo-style ending with the lead piping. <laughs> I mean, the whole the whole theme of it really echoes the kind of reaction to Madonna at the time in that way, in the sense that, as you say, it's about the idea of a woman fucking a man to death. And I think that 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 might have been why she took the part as well, is that it's sort of, you know, metaphorically, that whole thing of, you know, someone being such a kind of sexual threat that... Mm -hmm. You know, it takes it just to the ultimate point. And um, for that reason, I think I, I knew that, you know, she wasn't she wasn't going to be innocent because I, I knew that a film uh, with that budget made at that time, they might have moments where they kind of empower the, the femme fatale in the movie. But, you know, they're going to they're going to get their just desserts in the end. I think, you know, they're not going to let us think that it's okay to be too sexy <laughs> <laughs> and one thing i also thought about when you were talking about you know bodies as weapons and, and appealing to your broader interests here guys was um wasn't that the premise for nicholas cage being put in prison at the start of con air 
was that he was essentially he yeah. was a lethal weapon. Con Air is our body of evidence, if that's what you're driving at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm absolutely dripping with sweat after watching both films. So, that's <laughs> so much sexual magnetism coming off the screen. <laughs> Jailbird, more like the Railbird. Am I right, lads, 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 lads? lads. <laughs> Oh, God, I feel I regret everything I just said. I mean, just to sort of, you know, go back to the legal proceedings of this, there, there was something that INDB said that uh, Joe Mantegna said in an interview that the courtroom scenes were so tedious to film, two of the extras playing jurors fell asleep during the filming of Willem Dafoe's closing statement. He had to yell at them to wake them up. <laughs> that's never good. Do you think that's Dassey. part of the reason why some of the... Uh, sex scenes sort of feel or at least maybe that the most famous one it feels as if it goes on for quite a long time and maybe that in the editing room maybe that was a decision because they thought oh we've got to balance out some of these court you know maybe maybe just sort of sling on another three minutes onto that sex scene and that will kind of help balance it all out well, well they've got nothing else apart from the courtroom or the sex there's no kind of like delving into the interpersonal lives of these people beyond the relationship between frank and rebecca mm-hmm. and it's like you're kind of like when you first see willem dafoe and julianne moore together and and, and like the, the frankly bizarre conversation he has with the kid the kid asked him like, oh, <laughs> yeah. you, can you can you can you screw someone to death and he's like he's like well that's not something you should be worrying about is it? <laughs> you're, you're a very handsome boy. It's like, why are you talking about like once you start getting it, mate? You're gonna have to be fighting off women with a stick. Like, what the fuck? Are you, I, I, I didn't understand that relationship. Like, who is Willem Dafoe to that kid? Yeah, yeah. Like, who is Willem Dafoe to Julianne Moore? Like, like, is he a boyfriend? Is he? Is he a stepfather to this boy? Are they? I just, I just didn't really get it. He, 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 he almost warned that boy as if it was one of the top three leading causes of death in America. <laughs> yeah. Like, other like cancer, obesity, and being fucked by Madonna. Um, <laughs> it's like you don't have to worry yet. Like she's like a, a modern day sexy boogeyman. <laughs> Like, this is an insane conversation to have at a public restaurant. <laughs> Christ. You'd be calling social services if you ever heard that. You're a lawyer. Calling Julianne Moore over the table. Excuse me, can we, can we move tables? There's, there's a very, this top table, there's a very weird conversation going on. <laughs> this guy's a creep. Yeah. Excuse me, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> well, it falls. lost his mind. It's, it does feel like one of the one of the kind of natural uh, movies that you can kind of link back to Fatal Attraction in that way, in the sense that um, Rich and I did Fatal Attraction on our podcast, and it really feels as part of that movie, again, as you say, it's quite kind of similar in the sense that it's, um, it's really drumming up that sense of fear that people should associate with sex. And I think that that's why the erotic thriller genre is really interesting and people <laughs> miss it is because it's sort of, it has this quality, it's so watchable, but it also sort of, you know, threatens you. It's like, if you give into your impulses, if you snog someone, if you end up in bed with them, then God knows what's going to happen to you. You know, it has that real sort of feeling <laughs> to it. So, um, so yeah, it feels like a kind of natural, natural child of that movie, doesn't it? Everyone apart from the people having sex in this film are so prudish about sex as well. Like you get those cops at the beginning 
where there's like the oh, the clearly like handcuff marks on the bed, and one of them says like it looks like she's been gnawing on like the bed frame. It's like how like what are you talking about? You are you are a detective in the in like the in the Oregon police force. Surely you've seen like handcuff marks before. Why is your first point of call? Yeah, she must have been gnawing on the bed frame. Like, what have you seen in your life? <laughs> your first point of call. <laughs> They've got really bad infestation of beavers. Well, they truly did in this film. Yes, yeah. yeah, so, so does Defoe in his face. <laughs> Next question. I mean, speaking of obviously Defoe, I mean, he, he I think between him and uh, Joe Mantegna, they very much sort of carry the weight of this movie from an acting perspective and, you know, give some really sort of solid performances. I think with Defoe, and I guess really touching back on something you said, Petros, you know, what's his relationship to the family? It is really second fiddle to everything else is going on. And that's him, you know, being ridden to the verge of breaking while lying on broken glass in a car in an underground car park. But he, he has the whole thing of like Julianne Moore's character who works out that he's having an affair. <laughs> there's, no, there's not really any repercussion to him having an affair because it all seems all's well that ends well by the end of the film. I love when they have the argument about it and she's like, I've got people calling me that they've seen your boat down by the down by the riverside down by her apartment it's like what someone say like we saw them shagging in a car park or we saw them like out at a restaurant why is it like who who is she hanging out with that they're seeing his like car on the riverside do you know what i mean like she's got a couple of docker mates who are like his boat down by the riverside spotted in heat <laughs> <laughs> quite a similar house yes. to the one in sleepless in seattle isn't it but, yeah, mm. it's that kind of era <laughs> and location yes mm. yes i guess one thing one thing that's kind of burning on my mind i'll throw it out to the to the room here is how believable is the kind of fall from or like the temptation of willem defoe's character because obviously this film could be that thing of the, the, yeah, he's he's got a mundane life and he's presented with this exciting sexual awakening but how does everyone like does everyone buy into the, the way that this film handles that like how does his sex life seem before to to when it yeah is, is it that much of a decline really i suppose we actually get to see him and julianne moore having sex Mm-hmm. Although she makes a point and say, oh, well, I can't remember the exact words, but you, you're always better when you've got a good case on or something like that. And basically saying, you're enjoying your work, therefore you're enjoying me. And it's it's interesting to go to that when you can actually see them together. And I know there isn't a lot else. There's no, there's very little context around the relationship or the family, but they're clearly in a phase where they're still doing that sort of stuff, you know, quite comfortably. And it looks like it's probably in the middle of the day, a little afternoon delight and all that. But then... He goes from that and it's just kind of like, oh, go on then. It's like she's offered him a packet of sweets, Madonna. And it's, <laughs> you know, you want it, don't you? And, it, the, you know, there, there's that confidence there. But I think it's not like he's starved or deprived of intimacy at all. It's just kind of, it's there, go on then. Yeah, or that he's some kind of like prude himself, right? There's not like this element where he's like, he's very, he's having really vanilla sex. Like, I'm not saying it's like, do you know what I mean? Whips and chains and all sorts with Julianne Moore, but I imagine like, I don't know, 
it do, it doesn't look like it's kind of really rigid and boring stuff. Go, do you know what I mean? Like they, mm. it seems like they probably, they probably, I don't know, yeah, probably would be throes of passion going on that bedroom if if one of them had said, I, I don't. And I guess more importantly, Defoe Defoe looks like he'd be fucking right. He's got a face that looks like he'd be. Fucking. Yes, yeah. This is my this is my thing with it. I think that he is miscast in this movie because I think that he justify yourself well, immediately. <laughs> He's, um, he's just got that he's got that feeling to me you know that this guy isn't buttoned up and you know yeah. the stakes do not feel high as rich says it is just like she's offering him some sweets he, it looks completely natural that he'll go to bed with her you know that he will and that's the thing about him and madonna i think that they both have like they both they both hustled in new york in the late 70s to get to where they got to and i think you can feel yeah. that about both of them, mm-hmm. you know. And him as well. I also found out that he got expelled from school for making a pornography film. I didn't know that. <laughs> and uh, I think that kind of comes through in his performance. You know, th- these kind of elements, Tim, as you say, you you, you kind of think, yeah, this isn't someone who's conservative and needs to be sort of, you know, drawn out of his kind of repressed shell. He just mm-hmm. feels already totally ready to have wax stripped on him. And when it's happening, actually, he's like, yeah, fine. I'm great. <laughs> yeah, well, like when he goes to her her boathouse, he's immediately just like like a wild dog, isn't he? Like ripping at her skirt and stuff like that. It's not like she's yeah, he's the dominant force. He's the one who kind of sees the curtain blowing in the wind. He's like, I'm gonna go in. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. prowler, yeah. like heading in. Tells <laughs> <laughs> him to go home. <laughs> that bit felt a bit like um, body heat. I don't know if you've ever seen. There's a sort of scene, sex scene, and mm. body heat that felt like. Quite like that one, or at least it was trying to be that one. Let's say that, but yeah, I think it felt quite natural that he went in there, just strolled in, didn't feel as if he was having to kind of fight fight the impulses much at all. Defoe the dirty dog. I mean, he, he kind of felt like they had to get together because that's kind of what the film's built on happening. So it has to happen. But they, I think, they have. Is it like the first day of court, and then they have like a dinner afterwards, to sort of I don't know for reasons, and then he kind of sort of straight up asks like about her sex life um because i suppose he prefaces is by saying look this court case is going to be built all around you your sex life the kind of things that you do you're going to get painted in a negative light and then they're having dinner and he's so like look around tell me who has the same kind of sexual desire as you and then she just does like a very sort of wooden look to the left look to the right crisscross everybody clap your hands clap 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 and then she she eats a strawberry and she's like oh there's some people i can't name them though they just don't know it yet wide-eyed looks at defoe and then next thing you know he's getting hot candle wax poured on him um like you think he's gonna leave and have some kind of restraint and i thought they might have um built up to it Maybe a little more, just because I think just going off something you were saying, uh, Petros, with obviously the relationship with his wife in the film, unless I've missed something obvious, there wasn't really anything that seemed to imply that they were in any kind of marital despair or anything. Uh-huh. It was just Madonna saying like, oh, you should probably come in. And he goes to kiss and she's like, ah, I got you. <laughs> and then there's nothing sexier than some billowing curtains. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen Top Gun. <laughs> well, I think the small breadcrumb we get is the fact that they're they're at that meal when she works at the restaurant, right? It's like she has to she has to rush away 
And it's like, what a sexist kind of, or like misogynist kind of thing to be like, oh, a woman cannot be busy at work. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's like, yes. she, should, she should have time for a man. And it's like, if that is the breadcrumb we're getting as to why their relationship is in tatters and he must find love elsewhere. And it's not even love. Do you know what I mean? He's, we're seeing he's getting his physical needs met with Julianne Moore anyway. It's just I don't, I don't I don't really get Frank's why he's been suckered suckered into this. Do you know what I mean? He's been absolutely played like a like a two bob prick. No, and as you say as well, Julianne Moore's performance is you know she looks she looks confident, she looks relaxed, she looks like she'd be you know sort of game for a bit of fun kind of thing. You know, there's nothing about her performance that indicates a sort of boredom in the marriage there, does it? You know, so it's mm. it's an interesting choice from him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I obviously said there's not really much reason necessarily for Delaney to have the affair other than the film demands it, so it has to push things in that way. I found an interview that Defoe did with Sky Movies around about 93, 94, and he kind of said this with like a cheeky grin, but he was like, he researched the role of like lawyers and stuff, and he was like, well, lawyers get intimate with their clients all the time. And then he was like, asked more about the motivations of the characters and saying he felt uh, people are capable of any kind of behavior under the right circumstances. His sort of exact quote was, uh, we could all be murderers in this room. We aren't, I'm sure, but under the right circumstances, we could be. So... <laughs> I think as this podcast goes on, I'm starting to convince myself more and more that he has killed. <laughs> he will kill again. <laughs> he will kill again. Let the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I'm touching, circling back just around off something I mentioned earlier. And again, we, we don't enjoy bringing them up, but like the Razzies nominated Defoe for like worst actor for like this movie as well. So I think. You know, you can debate if it's an, a good movie or not, but Defoe wasn't the worst actor of 1994 for this, um, or when obviously when they did the awards. But I was like, you stinkers, we knew it then, we know it now, you know, and they are officially on, on my shit list for the duration of this podcast for such an egregious nomination. But I think his, his, his performance was good, considering, as you said, kind of like the limitations of the scripts. It was it, it did what it needed to do. And, you know, was he miscast in the movie? I guess you can argue yes, you can argue no. But I, I, I just always think it's sort of fascinating that... Um, I think for a few films now, Petros, he's he's no like he's not shy about like using his body as like a performance piece and to sort of further a character or anything like that. Well, no, and you can see his reasonings for wanting to take this, and he kind of said in an interview that he'd like the kind of the flip reverse of kind of being what would archetypally be like the the female role of like do you know what I mean not being dominated as opposed to being the dom- domineering factor in a in in a relationship. He also said some very, some very uh, uh, dicey things to the fact that Madonna said she found she found like the sex scenes. Oh, what is it? Very scientific. And uh, Willem Dafoe admitted he's like, yeah, I was I was a little turned on during those sex scenes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I suppose you know. Um, excuse the, the pun, beating around the bush here. Uh, the sex scenes. There are some very notable sex scenes. Let's get um, into them. Let's get let's bloody get into it. <laughs> like the 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 first one, I, I think one of the most notable scenes is obviously the first sex scene between the two of them with sort of the, the binding and uh, the candle wax. And when you sort of look on IMDb, there's lots of trivia. Now, whether it's true or not, I don't 
entirely know, but a lot of them sort of relating to the sex scenes. It's like apparently he was, if I was genuinely restrained in that scene and it was real hot wax and champagne that was used so he had genuine reactions when that was being poured on him now i suppose for the purposes of the film it's meant to be like erotically thrilled you i suppose and obviously touching on what we said about is defoe miscast in this movie considering these scenes as well and it started with the candle scene and again opening it to the room like did did the candle scene work was it kind of like oh or oh no um, when you talk about it being done for real, it just reminded me of the fact that the waxing scene in the forty-year-old version was also done. Up, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, which one was sexier? Or not, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. Um, Body of evidence crawled so the forty-year-old virgin could run. Yes. <laughs> they probably watched. Oh no, that was knocked up where they did the the list of films that had yeah, nudity in it. Skin, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I think it, it was. To a kind of audience who probably don't see that kind of stuff very often, you know, it is like the billowing curtains and the innuendo and the fact that you just see a bit of heavy petting and, you know, the whole, the sheets different shapes so you don't see any bits of the lady and all that. And I think the fact that you're actually seeing this kind of stuff on a supposedly mainstream Hollywood film, it's, I don't know, to, to a teenage boy, it's probably quite eye-opening. Yeah, for sure. Mm. My the, the, the teenage boy was like eyes were opened. Let's put it. Let's <laughs> I mean, it is it is interesting that the the first two sex scenes, anyway, they do put the woman in the driving seat so firmly, don't they? I mean, and that and that is quite unusual, I suppose, for a lot of sex scenes from movies of this genre. I mean, like I, th- I think particularly the one in the car park. We'll move on to that, but uh, but that because it's uh, uh, him pleasuring her shall we say that's really mm-hmm. quite rare in mainstream movies to see that particularly of this era and apparently you'd get a higher rating as a film if it had uh, the man doing that to a woman as opposed to the other way around which i've never been able to figure out why that would be mm. but uh, so so that's quite groundbreaking in its own way it's because they know they know if women see that that can be done it will empower them <laughs> to take over like they rightfully should and us idiots should be should be should be yeah should be looking up to women from from, from the bonnet of a car as they, they hold on to the light fixtures fuck us all to death god damn it get us out of here <laughs> Do us all a favour. Oh, dear. Oh, God. I don't, know, I don't know what sort of light bulbs they were using in that car park because it, it was a lot of glass. <laughs> they must be massive. Yeah. yeah that's the, uh, there's an absolute freak who has put this on the IMDb trivia. It says, uh, Madonna does not take her shoes off during any of the sex scenes apart from when she takes them off to smash a light bulb in the parking lot scene. It's like, you absolute perv who put that on there. The same, I think it's the same person who put on the IMDb trivia uh, later on in, (laughs) is um, this is uh, the second film within two years where we see Madonna scantily clad pick up a bottle of champagne from an ice bucket the other being Dick Tracy. So, uh, yeah, the shout-outs to IMDb, IMDb Trivia Perv for those two bits of trivia. But <laughs> shall we talk about loving an elevator leading down to the uh, P4, I believe, is where the car is parked. Shall we talk about that scene? Yeah, ele- elevator elevator sex was 
was big big yes. for this kind of genre of movie wasn't it that's i think i think most people you know and they were growing up watching these movies thought yeah that, there's gonna be when i you know when i grow up there'll be loads of occasions probably when i end up having sex in a lift but i don't think it happens as much as you think it's yeah. going to <laughs> you just don't have time to unbuckle yourself and then you're at your floor <laughs> That's the thing about elevator sex is that there's so many levels to it. But um, <laughs> cancelled, cancelled for being too funny. I mean, she, she. I'm trying to remember what what sort of precedes that because I think oh, it, he he calls out the the doctor, right? Jurgen Prucknell's character in court. He kind of says like he he calls him out for just being like he tries to say that she's really bad, right? And then he has a win in court and then she's like as your yeah. reward you're getting a little hand job in the in the elevator right is that is that is that right yeah i, I think so because so, the the doctor comes up a few times um then there's a few people that sort of sort of take the stand that i just slowly systematically just dismissed so i think every time they went every time they win a day in court rebecca's sort of i guess like sexual power just grows and grows and grows <laughs> to the point where Defoe's just getting like a hog handful pulled over to that car. And I suppose apparently because they didn't use body doubles as well, Defoe confirmed this in an interview. So she's like like one of the modern day gladiators, just looks like cloak monkey barring around on the rafters whilst he's just, he's just like doing reverse bobbing for apples up there. And just <laughs> just go just go just go into town. I was like, oh, this is this is I, I wasn't expecting to see the private parts of madonna but like hey there they are then there was someone who asked him in like a radio interview um and i found it online he was like look i've got to ask this he's like your face was in madonna's crotch um was like you know and defoe was just like yeah it was like ice cream which is what his, his exact words were he said this this is on a radio interview so so yeah do you think that bit is unsimulated then to a degree i mean well all the foe coyly added he said like he wasn't married at the time so <laughs> draw your own conclusions well, well like and i'm not sure if you you guys are aware of this cat and rich daryl i know you are aware of this because i uh i <laughs> i think i te- i think we bring it up uh constantly on this podcast but lars von trier said about willem defoe that he has a confusingly large penis. So in the film Antichrist, he had to use a stunt double to basically uh, have a smaller penis. <laughs> so it didn't look confusing. Did they just turn the heating down or something? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they basically had to turn the heating down on Willem Dafoe to make him look, yeah, to get, get someone else in. Do you know what I mean, I would have the opposite thing. I'd be like, can like. <laughs> so yeah, there's 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 that element of it, and then you factor that in the fact that Madonna handpicked Willem Dafoe to be in this film. She was like, there was no audition. She said, I want Willem Dafoe. I think she knew that fact. She had heard from people in New York from the seventies, Willem Dafoe. Worcester group, absolute hammer on him, and she was like, "Erotic thriller." Well, the, I want to be, want to be going toe to toe with. Well, you wouldn't, yeah. Uh, the casting for it must have been like Naked Attraction in that case, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I suppose you know, Schwarzenegger goes to the gym to make his muscles bigger and all that. You know, that's what got him a lot of roles. So, you know, we don't think about this enough, do we? 
<laughs> we're the ones brave enough to do the research. So we don't have to. So, so no one else has to. Tailoring off on the on the, the, the car park sex scene, it kind of felt like that one was like, well, we've got a top. Uh, we've got to top the candle wax scene with something that like a bit more. Like, it's almost animalistic because there's there's that line that line that Madonna has earlier. She says something like, "Oh, have you ever seen like animals make love? Like it's so like brutal or something like that." And obviously that's um, sort of team with the image of like you know Defoe's back all sort of cut open because he's been laying in glass as well. He was like, "Okay, we've we've had a bit of courtroom stuff. We need to like crank." crank up the erotic stakes a little bit more yeah i think it's better than the candle waxing scene personally what, what do you guys think yeah i think the imagery i think the kind of like i think i think if this film does teeter on being sexy in any way i think the kind of like image of madonna like holding on to is is is, is quite it's quite erotically charged i think the candle wax is very like mills and booney kind of do you know what i mean it's run of the mill just this is what is sexy do you know what yes, I mean? like yes. candles and yeah, billowy things. A bit like, oh, come on, like I don't know, Vaseline lensed. Do you know I mean? you have yeah. to squint yeah. to see anything? Whereas that is like it's quite bold in the fact of like yeah, like Daryl said, you like do you know what I mean? I'm sure there are many VHS copies of this that have been like the tracking starts exactly like moments <laughs> after she 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 she, she 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 hits out that light bulb. Do you know what I mean? Where people are like. <laughs> Come on, let's go for it. <laughs> well, also by that point of the movie, there's been so much Madonna nudity that I think that's another mm-hmm. aspect of that scene that's kind of more erotic is the fact that you know people are kind of clothed and they've got their courtroom clothes, and that's kind of more interesting for a sex scene, isn't it? And so, mm. Yeah. I wonder what the sort of damage to the car was. <laughs> if it tea cut all those sort of heel marks and bits of glass out at the end you know they take that into a quick fit or something afterwards you come back i mean i'm assuming that's not their car either so someone's going to come back shortly afterwards and find this and just go oh kids (laughs) (laughs) someone's going to come down from the courtroom and just see fluid and glass on the bonnet and be like again (laughs) (laughs) oh they had a good day in court (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> some poor schmuck I mean, some, some poor schmuck has just lost in court and he's like and now this <laughs> <laughs> these things come in freeze <laughs> have you seen that episode of Seinfeld where they're lost in the multi-story car yeah. park trying to find their it'd be funny if all of them came round the corner at that point trying to find their car George Costanza just going where is it <laughs> <laughs> got to be a man edit of that somewhere yeah. there's got to be <laughs> Amazing. I <laughs> suppose <laughs> yeah, I think my my only sort of thing on you know c- comparing and contrasting the two first sex scenes, and I think I do agree, Kat, that this one is I think just the better of the two. My main note on the candle wax scene was just like I couldn't do that. I'd be too worried about the wax on the bed, <laughs> which t- just tells you a lot about me as a person. Too much or anything. <laughs> too much. Look, we, we, we've got at least fifteen seasons to go. You know, we we we're going to start sharing all parts of our soul on this podcast. But we sort of go back to the courtroom after this, and then this is where we get the surprise written, uh, the surprise witness played by Jeff Lang, um, Left Langella, Langella, Frank, Frank Langella, yeah. Frank Langella. I put Jeff twice. I was obviously still thinking about the car. Um, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, Jeff rocks up. Um, 
and this is um, Jeffrey Rost and his character, and he testifies that him and Rebecca were lovers, and this is the whole when he says, like, I too had a heart condition, and everyone in like the courtroom's like, <gasps> foul witch, killing men left, right, and centre with that wretched pose. <laughs> and it's just... And then it kind of... There was... This kind of culminates... Um, in an argument between sort of Carlson and Delaney afterwards, because this is like a big, like a uh, um, surprise curveball for the case, because Carlson didn't tell Delaney about previous lovers, and then he he hits with an absolute zinger because he wants to break off the affair and just says like, "I'm not your type. I'm too young and healthy." And I was like, "Oh!" <laughs> and then you know, this is when Delaney, um, you know, and Sharon have that sort of argument about all the marks on his chest and he's sort of had had like the call and stuff and then kind of you know like who cares about the marriage at this point there's no stakes in the marriage you know yeah I, um, it, it was that moment i realized they were married yeah same, same. <laughs> i think it's when he confronts her afterwards he's at he's at the boathouse again and he says like why did you call my wife and i'm like your wife i beg your pardon <laughs> i thought she was your maid <laughs> I thought, yeah, yeah. I thought she was just like my girlfriend. Not that 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 makes it any 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 better. No, but it's yeah, just... but it does change the stakes slightly, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, it adds like some stakes to things. That's like, oh, okay, now like it's now it's not just Delaney fucking around. Now this time it's personal. And then you know this goes to quite um you, you know a strange quite like not nice scene where so he goes back to the boathouse. He confronts. Rebecca about speaking to his wife and then like he pushes her over she tries to bring handcuffs into it and he he takes them from her handcuffs around like the leg of the bed and then you know sexually assaults her you know make no bones about it and then and then obviously the film makes a purpose of of sort of showing that she does eventually start enjoying it Mm. um which is kind of you know again quite an uncomfortable scene but it's it's almost one of those things which is like showing that still in some way she's kind of in control of the situation but also this is this the one is this the scene as well where he pushes her over and she's like oh well and then she starts like masturbating in front yeah of yeah, yeah. she starts masturbating well. yeah and then he gets like yeah he, he gets annoyed by her Do you know I mean? how dare you wank in front of me i'm gonna i'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna get these handcuffs yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd, odd scene, but like, what, what were your sort of views on it as well, Cat and Ridge? I think a lot of it as well is that she's kind of then happy as well, that she's brought him down to down to her level, is a bit crass, but that he's now demonstrating kind of force and power and, and coercion, whereas, you know, the idea that he's this very vanilla, we know he's not, but this very vanilla guy who needs to be kind of coaxed out of his shell, and all of a sudden, no, he's just doing that on the, the floor now. This is where, this is the kind of guy he is now. So you know, th- there's some evolution of his character, and I think now, you know, thirty odd years later, that scene they'd have to be very careful around how they film it and how they sort of imply and and make things obvious. But there, even you know, it was the nineties, but it was still you know that kind of era of things where I, I think it's more her being almost pleased with her work. Really, it's like 
yes, I've turned you to the dark side. Yeah, there's too, there is sort of too much that happens in these movies. Because it's funny, at the end of um, Dick Tracy, they kill Breathless Mahoney off in, in quite in a similar way to the way they do at the end of uh, this movie with um, Madonna's character. And that sex scene, there's, there's always this sort of feeling where there just has to be kind of, the audience aren't going to be satisfied. Again, a bit similar to the end of Fatal Attraction, unless, unless the woman that kind of tempted the married man away from his marriage gets properly punished and it can't be the kind of punishment where she's just you know put in prison or whatever it has to be something brutal and that makes me feel kind of quite uncomfortable about some mm-hmm. of these movies but yeah. on the other hand though um that scene is quite good press and again the sex scene at the beginning for good press for big pants <laughs> which i quite like so yeah she looks good in big pants i want to read out a quote uh, from IMDb like quotes here and it's got stage direction it says and and forgive me for what I'm about to read out here ladies and gentlemen uh, Rebecca Carlson and then and then it says stage direction Frank is having hard anal sex with Rebecca who's handcuffed to a table Rebecca you fuck is her line I'm like the, the, that line is like I think where this hinges of like how is she feeling about that because that can go both ways right that is her being like you fuck you've done it like you, you, you're onto my side or that is like her saying like you fuck like you get like do you know what I mean yeah. it's very like I, th- I, th- I think I think I don't know and, and I, I don't think Madonna in this role is strong enough to convey the kind of the subtleties mm. that it yeah. needs to like not make this scene feel a bit icky in the fact of like obviously by when we get to the end and the wrap up of it all we realize that like that is exactly what she wanted but in that moment you're like do you know what I mean Ugh! like you're kind of going uh, well he's gone he's gone way too far do you know what I mean if he kind of came in at his waist he's right up to his chin now. yeah completely yeah it's 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 just that point where you know have people gone past the point of no return and even though you know it's obviously an unforgivable act it, it's kind of at that point then we sort of go you know back into the uh, the investigation side of things sort of after that because then we get uh delaney and i didn't get his name there's the guy that delaney works with at whatever lawyer outfit he's at where like i i want to know what floor is delaney's office because it looks like this guy is on like a balcony of like the tenth floor, just kind of like Delaney, wake up, wake up. <laughs> I mean, he, he's, he's in the hills, isn't he? You know, he's, he's up there, he's elevated. Yeah, he looks like sort of a skyscraper, and he's got like a kind of like uh, penthouse style balcony. And this guy, like, I, I just imagine he shimmied up a like a, a drain pipe to get there. He really like with a with, <laughs> with a VHS tape in his mouth. Oh, I gotta tell him. I gotta tell him. <laughs> <laughs> the the sex tape is like you know the, the film starts like with with uh, Madonna and. Um, the old guy Marsh and that's all filmed and then they sort of review the sex tape again later and this is when like the courtroom scenes start doing like you know the knocking down of the witnesses because we find out that Marsh was having like a sexual relationship with one of the previous witnesses Barstow was her name um yeah played by Anne Archer the wife from Fatal Attraction was his assistant or secretary secretary Um, yeah secretary more like hey yo and then you know, that sort of knocked down. It, it, if it's there to be taken, it happens. And then you know, the, the, uh, the doctor is sort of like dismissed as well. And it's one of those, 
I don't know, very sort of dated things where, you know, Madonna finally takes to the stand because like Delaney was like, you absolutely under no circumstances can go to the stand. You're going to ruin the entire case if you start talking. And then she was like, well, here's my trump card. And again, it's kind of like, you know, shows the age of the film. It's like, well, you know, that guy with a heart condition earlier, um, you know, and you're all... And he, he said that I was trying to kill him because he had a heart condition. Well, turns out he's gay. I know, I know, I said it, I said it. And then, you know, the, the crowd in attendance gasps and the jury's like, well, he's gay. We, 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 case dismissed. It's done. He's out. You're off, <laughs> you're off the hook. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the uh, the 90s with, you know, the classic case winner, the gay defense, yeah. which is how these things go. And I think one of the things that kind of, I wouldn't say irked me, which is like, she starts saying, oh, well, Roston was, is uh, gay, so, you know, therefore you have no case. And they're like, well, he's not here in the court. And then he just stands up from the end of the back of the court and is like, you got me. Um, and then he just, he just <laughs> leaves the court without saying a word and we never hear from him again. And I was like, oh, okay. So, I got, you know, I guess, I, I guess, Court adjourned. <laughs> only had Frank Langella for a day, and he's like, oh, God, God, God. "Like, I ain't got time for the writer to give anything. Just, I'll just do a nod." Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you bastards! You did it! You cracked the case. You got me. And then this sort of ends with like Carlson saying to, to Delaney, "Thanks, you almost convinced me." Sort of indicating her guilt, but you know, the sort of the, the point of it all build into this moment, and it's kind of—I don't even know if it's an anticlimax, really. Because as I said earlier, I don't think there was any doubt throughout this film that she was going to implicate herself or turn out to be the guilty party. But, you know, Rich, will throw to you first. By the time the courtroom drama had sort of ended, you know, and it's kind of element of drama, just, oh, we'll throw another witness to add a wrinkle in things, we'll throw another witness. And then by the end, it's like, ah, yeah, okay, that's kind of one kind of roughly how I expected things probably were going to go. Like, did the end, by the end of the court case stuff, did it sort of change anything for you? Did you find in the entirety of it, like any drama in the court scenes? Um, no, because I think that the issue is, is that each of the witnesses that they showed were ludicrous in some way or another. These aren't sort of, again, you know, legal head on. These aren't compelling witnesses. There's always something there. And it's only, you know, the finale, we find out that the um, the doctor is in cahoots with Madonna. But um you know, ultimately, uh, Anne Archer is a drug addict who was shagging the old guy as well. Uh, Frank Langella happened to be gay, therefore he's you know, guilty of something. And again, courtroom drama stuff. You know, we're in the edge of Philadelphia and liar, liar, all this stuff. is like, and, um, and even in The Simpsons, you know, that whole gag around, I'll introduce surprise witnesses, each more crazy than the last, just to confuse you. And it's all kind of this. And, and it's only that bit where Madonna says, like you said, you, you almost convinced me. And it's kind of like, oh, God, you could have knocked 20 minutes out of this. Again, that editing yeah. suite was being lazy, I think, this well, time. Th- that, that, that whole thing with, like, the Ann Archer tape and the fact that there was a little bit of, like, tr- like do you know what I mean, like, static, and then there was, more, there was more on the tape, feels like the DA, like Joe Montaigne's office, have not done their due diligence because then it's not like they have to wait for like 10 minutes they have to wait like I don't know, five seconds it's like watching a marvel film now isn't it you just think right you get to the credits right there might be another <laughs> there might be another bit well, you would think you would have somebody be like right sit here for the length of this tape if anything else comes up we need to know that feels like sloppy police work well, it's, no, that's not the police's fault let's not blame the police 
Um, but you, 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 so you're waiting, you're waiting for Samuel L. Jackson to pop up in his eye patch, aren't you? Like, you know, no, normally what you film now, you would forward, forward, fast forward through the credits just to see if there is a bit. But yeah, it's it just seemed, you know, they've kind of gone, oh, it's an open and shut case. And probably, and you know, if we're being, you know, scientific around this stuff as well, the film that he made with Ann Archer was obviously longer. So therefore it didn't end as quickly. So, I mean, there's a, probably a critique of her there as well. Yeah, what I what I want to know as well is what is the actual charge like? Because when they arrest her, I don't think they have enough evidence to actually arrest her, really, apart from a hunch being like, do you I, know what I mean? You, that you must you be could, so good, it can kill a man. You, <laughs> like, could, you like, could arrest her for that. You could arrest her for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you always know that there's going to be some big twist involving Anne Archer because the casting of Anne Archer for some reason feels very significant from the word go because she comes in doesn't she right at the beginning and tries yeah. to put it on Madonna and um yeah maybe maybe it's just the association of her with being Michael Douglas's wife or something um but yeah you, you know that she's going to be kind of implicated somehow or emotionally involved in the situation so yeah at that point I think uh, the casting sort of gives it away in some ways yeah yeah like I say you know even by the time we get to the the final scene on the boathouse um and then it's kind of the reveal that uh, as Ed Carlson has been in cahoots with Dr Paley the whole time they I think they explained they painted it to make Dr Paley sort of not really be a credible witness to sort of cast avoid any doubt on him and then she's like oh I'm actually I'm actually kind of bored with you so like you know go away and then he's like well guess I gotta kill you and then the whole scrap starts and I thought he died when he got sort of flipped over you know him and Delaney are fighting he gets flipped over the balcony I was like oh he's dead and then he's not dead and then uh Madonna gets shot twice and falls out the window and so by the time she died I was kind of like oh well good <laughs> good <laughs> You know, something had to happen. If it wasn't going to be another gratuitous sex scene, then you need to kill someone. You know, by the end of it, you know, sometimes how these films kind of have to end on that, like, um, again, I can't really call it a zinger, but one of those lines that it thinks it's making you think. And Delaney says to um, uh, Detective Garrett, um, who's obviously on the opposing side of this, the whole film's like, oh, you should have won the case. And he's like, I did. And then she's getting wheeled away. And then I'm supposed to be there with like my hand, just like stroking my chin, going, <laughs> "Oh, the law! Isn't that a thing?" Yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, you know, did did the ending scene, you know, did it make sense? Were you happy that Madonna died? Should there have been more wax poured on Garrett? Should him and Delaney just had like a cathartic kiss at the end? I think it would have been better if Madonna hadn't died, just because it would have made it much less formulaic, and as I say, it wouldn't have kind of been following that trope of the femme fatale needing to be sort of destroyed you know you could she could be punished in in a different way but i think that that you know shot at her kind of you know floating up to the surface and things it all just felt very like you'd seen it before i think so it would have been more interesting to maybe keep her alive i don't know yeah didn't madonna say in an interview as well that they had shot an ending where she had survived and then kind of put it at the put it at the the feet of the director basically she kind of has some like damning words to say about him basically like if if you work with a misogynist director you're gonna you're gonna end up like looking bad throughout the film and then killed at the end so i think she's mm, that's yeah she was kind of fully aware and i think to kind of distance herself 
from some of the hate she was getting right because there was hate and like you said i think at the beginning cat the fact that people treated it like this was a project de madonna like she was the kind of every part of this and i think she said like i just i'm just in it i didn't i didn't i didn't write it i didn't direct it i'm just one of the actors yeah i mean people don't talk about julianne Moore being associated with this film as if it's something that Julian Moore has to yeah. talk about all the time and kind of carry with her. And I know that she's got a much smaller role, so it's not exactly the same. But she, she was she wasn't happy with this film either, because um no. despite wanting a uh yeah, she 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 referred to her nude scene as just awful. She said I was too young to know better. It was the first time I was asked to get naked and it turned out it's completely extraneous and gratuitous. Oh it was a terrible film and a terrible performance by me. Uh, it was nothing it was about nothing i did uh yeah i didn't need to be doing it so yeah, yeah. She, it sounds like she had an awful time and yeah especially when it's i don't know, it feels like at the time there's like a badge of honor that people didn't have body doubles apart from ann archer who uh I, it's quite funny that her body double got annoyed when ann archer said no that's all me and ended up starting up a uh <laughs> A company to get body doubles better recognition. Oh, interesting! Which is, which is amazing. Yeah, that but, is amazing. Um, it's it's but interesting. Yeah. Some uh, the women that are involved with these erotic thrillers, some of the more um, famous ones, anyway, because the end of Fatal Attraction had to be changed because test audiences hated the um, original version where Glenn Close's character. Uh, took her own life they needed her to be killed instead by the wife and Glenn Close is really unhappy with that um, ending being changed and then also of course you have Sharon Stone being unhappy with how um, she was kind of uh, coerced into having that famous uncrossing crossing of legs scene filmed Mm -hmm. so yeah that that's that's one thing that is that isn't retrospectively that great about some of these movies is that on the one hand they position themselves as kind of empowering women performers in in some respect but then there does seem to be so many of these instances where the female lead kind of signed up for one thing and then when it went out it was something completely different that they didn't sign up to so yeah I think kind of done wrong the erotic thriller genre tries to have its cake and eat it right in the fact that like like you said like they they want to empower these women but at the same time they want to just use them as meat to be ogled at by by men and it's like there's yeah there's there's obviously like time and place for ogling and like do you know what I mean male and female ogling but like I don't know just be just be honest about it right like I think that's that's that that as an audience that's all we can ask for yeah that's absolutely fair enough definitely you know again i think i think you know very much a product of its time and you know probably trying to you know capitalize on that star of madonna and sort of how well that fatal attraction and has sort of done as well and um you know i'm, I'm sure the film wanted to shock us in some way by having a dead madonna at the end the, what, the one thing i didn't i couldn't quite make out who it was but obviously as the credits are rolling on the film and there's like that sort of sort of wider shot of the boathouse um, Delaney walks up to someone on the dock. Was that was that meant to be the secretary or his wife? His wife. His wife. Was, was it the wife? Yeah. yeah like, right. I couldn't tell who it was. So is that meant to be the big reconciliation? Is like, well, she's dead now. You happy? <laughs> <laughs> but why is she there? Why is she there? It's why is she in court? Why does she need to be like doing these things? I don't. That's what I don't get. It's like they're like, oh, we've got Julianne Moore. Let's just give her stuff to do. But no. 
Yeah, that seems very random. Yeah, well, this is the thing, because she was, I think on the last day of the court hearings, she was in the bathroom that Rebecca was in, and then she slaps Rebecca. But I think if you watch closely, you can tell like she misses her by a country mile. I think she said something like she was quite intimidated by Madonna, so didn't want to get anywhere near her. <laughs> You the, can imagine that being slapping. a really terrifying thing to have to film at that moment in time, particularly. Like, this is the most famous woman <laughs> in the world, and you've got to yeah. pretend to slap her now. Yeah. Yes, I'm absolutely not taking any kind of heat for this. She's probably stood about five feet back with generous angle work. Yeah. But, but then, like I said, like she's she's there at the end. And I was kind of like, oh, like, well, if, if she is there, why? <laughs> why? Because obviously at that point, um, the, the relationship is, you know, not on the steadiest of ground, um, put it that way. But then she sort of turned up and then they look quite, you know, cosy, just walking back up the dock together. So it's like, I was just like, all right, about that. <laughs> and it's like, just get back in the car. <laughs> Just, just go, just go back to that restaurant and finish that talk he was having with his son earlier. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I do not know. I think certainly what I, what I do know, um, is that it's about time to start wrapping up proceedings here on this episode of getting to foe you and this movie body of evidence. Uh, and there's a few very important bits of business that we have to attend to. Now, the first is Willem Dafoe. Does he do deface? So we sort of look at this of um one of those sort of dare I say extreme Defoe faces that you've probably seen in a gif of some form or gif if you're insane and that's how you say it. <laughs> so cat to throw to you first, Willem Defoe, does he do deface? Yay or nay? Uh, yay, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Was it was there any particular faces that you picked out in this one? Well, I think that it's it's an it's an obvious one, but I think um deface has to be the expression that he's pulling when he's having hot wax dripped on him which apparently was genuine as we found out during the recording of this it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't simulated so that was i have to say if i had hot wax dripped on any part of me that is not the face i'd be making so i think that <laughs> he has to get special credit for that <laughs> my first question like where did you get the candle from <laughs> um, uh, uh, Rich, uh, and I'll say, obviously we'll, we'll edit around this. Uh, uh, Rich, do we have you? Are you back? Is Rich in the room? Sadly, he was not. Hello again, listeners. It is I, the all-seeing editor. Unfortunately, Rich had some connection issues, so we're going to skip ahead a little, so please excuse any awkward silences or edits around the fact that Rich has no audio. I did my best, and if you say otherwise, there will be consequences. And Petros, obviously, uh, deface, yay or nay for yourself. Definitely. His face is all those O faces. Do you know what I mean? We get his vinegar strokes. We get it all. We get, we get, we get that little thing that, um, depending on, I can't, I can't remember when these episodes are being released, but this may be the first time I'm mentioning this. This may be the second time I'm mentioning this, depending on which episode is coming out when, but don't worry, guys. Um, he does that tongue bitey thing. He does this thing where he kind of bites his tongue a little bit. And his his eyes widen, and I'm I'm picking up since we talked about that on New Rose Hotel. I'm picking up on it all the time. Yeah, he does this weird little yeah tongue bitey thing. It's like at moments he kind of looked like Norman Osborn in this, right? He kind of at any moment it's like oh yeah, you're gonna you're gonna put on a green suit and chase a boy in light <laughs> 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 
looks like Norman Osborn. That is Norman Osborn. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like that. He, he looks, but he looks, but specifically like that character. Obviously, I know it's the same actor. I'm not, I'm not a dumb dumb. I'm not a complete dumb. Well, 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 we'll have a chat about that offline. Um, <laughs> and with you know myself added to the ballot for the faces, I think any time there was um, some Madonna on scene, there was a face not far behind. Um, now we come to the most important element of the wrap up. It is our rating but obviously we don't just do your standard was it good was it bad no we take things in a defoe centric fashion and we ask the question body of evidence does this get a defriend or does it get a defoe <laughs> with your final thoughts on the movie as well so rich to go to you first body of evidence defriend defoe very much uh, i think i think we can all agree as an acting performance defriend but i think we'll take that as a um on the balance of probability, um, that is that is our first Defoe. Cat yourself, same question, friend or Defoe? Yeah, I think Defoe. He's he's good in this film, but yeah, as a as a film as a whole, and also watching it as a Madonna fan, I'm not hugely keen on it, and I don't think anyone really comes out of it looking brilliant. So, um, yeah, Defoe. Two for two on the Defoe's. Petros, same question to friend or Defoe. So it's really hard for me. Like, this is a this is a sexy film, like, in, in places, do you know what I mean? So it's one of the things I look for in a film. Is it is it sexy? Do you know what I mean? Does it make me feel? Does it achieve what it wants to achieve? But I think, looking at it through that metric, sexy. I don't think it achieves what it wants to achieve, and it has too many plot holes to be a, a whole, whole good work of art. Um. I've just been looking on Letterbox and I found out, and this is going to be the only time I can I can say this. Girl Guts Jallo has created a list called Cunnilingus Cinema, uh, which was <laughs> updated three days ago, and this film is mentioned in in that list as it should be. Oh. It's got some, it's got some, yeah. So the let let, let, let me throw out a, a couple of other films that that have that have the mention that have Cunnilingus in them. So we have Inherent Vice. A Simple Favour, Tin Drum, Reanimator, River's Edge, Anamite, Benedetta, an absolute smorgasbord of Cunnilingus. So you know what I'm going to be doing for the foreseeable future <laughs> is watching all of these films, but, uh, giving body of evidence a big stinky default. I think Pretty Woman has a bit of implied... Uh, what do you call it? So, let yeah. I'll let you know once I get to you on this <laughs> <laughs> Well, when defense, when Petros starts a new spin-off called the Getting to Tongue You podcast, uh, we'll <laughs> we'll find out what's going on with that one. Um, oh Jesus! Letterbox doing the Lord's work, but I think to round things out, that is uh, four for four under the foes from me. You know, there's some notable scenes. Is it for good or bad reasons? Who knows? But. It's not the best performance in the world from Madonna. Um, was the foe the right person to be, you know, going toe to toe with Madonna as well? I don't know, but you know, as the IMDb trivia suggested, in some parts I was just falling asleep like the jurors in that jury room as well. So that is a grand four for four on the foes here as well. Um, and certainly on that note, uh, as we, you know, close the case on this one as well, we thank captain rich for joining us thank you so much for taking the time to do so and for yourselves both uh, where can we find you on the, the socials the interwebs and all that good 
such business as well. Um, so we are, uh, don't you want me? So we're on all the podcast apps of choice uh, on Twitter and Instagram at DYWM podcast because you had to cram it all in and get those acronyms in there. But um, yeah, we've uh, we're, we're, we've done three full series and a load of bonus episodes. Now we, you know, we, we've dipped our toe into the uh, the um, erotic thriller genre. Um, although I don't think we've done a Defoe yet, have we, Kat? No, we haven't. No. We've been must. Yes, I'll say. But, um, yeah. but um, yeah, we're, we're everywhere and uh, yeah, we're always around. We have a, a wide variety of film relationships to look at. And, uh, yeah, th- this was a, a treat for many senses. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful stuff. Um, so, you know, all the links in the description. Um, is it other... Uh, is it any individual sort of links all that business uh, to plug as well? Or throw them all in the description. There's no character limit in there. We'll do it. Uh, well, I'm at Kitty Costanza on Twitter and Instagram. So I'll be tweeting about uh, films and all of that kind of thing there. So Yeah, and uh, mine's Fantana275. It's mostly pictures of my dog. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll be uh, d- dipping dipping in there or two. But uh, yeah, I, I still do the uh, the old... Betamax pod Twitter as well, um, mostly for my weird film rantings and whatever tangent I can skew an 80s out of. And uh, I'm amazed I didn't actually mention <laughs> at this point how uh, Frank Langella was a skeletal in the He-Man film. But uh, yeah, I don't know which which no, was worse. No. Which was worse? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> right, wonderful stuff. Well, thank you both again so much for taking the time to join us for Body of Evidence. It's been an absolute pleasure. And with that said... It is left for us to say, I've been Daryl. I've been Petros. I've been Kat. I've been Rich. And we've been getting to foe you. And there we have it. Episode five in, episode five down. We've pulled up our pants. We've got our priorities sorted. And here we are looking ahead to uh, to the future, to maybe less grotty horizons. Um, but yeah, interesting episode. But I had a lovely time. That was lovely for... Cat and uh, Rob to be on as well to get the Madonna perspective and um, you know talk about this this absolute adventure <laughs> of a film. I think is the only way I could describe it now in hindsight. Well, yeah, I think one thing we've learned from this episode is Willem Dafoe has uh, what we can pigeonhole as a, as a fuck face, a face that looks like it, it can fuck, and maybe <laughs> maybe one of the biggest shortcomings of this film is we we are made to believe this is a man who. Is 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 wooed by this world, and we we know that he's he's neck deep in this world of of, of dirty fucking hot wax and broken glass. <laughs> Willem Dafoe, Willem the fuck boy, <laughs> for every occasion. Um, but oh, but in terms of Dafoe for every occasion, we have got some hot Dafoe coming next week. We're going from the courtroom. We're going back in time. And we're going to a more dramatic Defoe because uh, we've got a little, a little, a little something special coming up next week. Uh, so Petros, episode six next week. What do we have coming up? Well, we have our first wild card pick of the season of the of the, of the entire podcast. So those of you who are not aware may not listen to our inaugural episode or our. Trailer might not know what the wild card is. It is a it is a, a dastardly uh, plan we have each season, and 
You may you may be sitting back in your chair being like, whoa, this is this is maverick uh, programming for a podcast. But what me and Daryl do is we close our eyes, mm-hmm. scroll through Willem Dafoe's filmography oh, and yes. point at a film. And the film we chose for this season is The Reckoning from 2003. A film that has some slight connections to this. There's some... There's some kind of medieval courtroom action going on, some crimes committed, and Defoe trying to get to the bottom of it. But to kind of help us kind of uh, lay judgment upon the deeds of this film, we're joined by Josh Hallam of the Films and That podcast for a heady journey to medieval England as Defoe and his ragtag band of merry pranksters and actors go right go along their merry way absolutely so we've got a banger of an episode coming up for you next week uh, as ever we say thank you for listening we're having a great time so far we can't wait for you to all listen to what we've got coming up for the rest of the season as well and as we always do we take this opportunity to thank our editor matt for making us sound like we know what we're doing pouring some hot wax on this podcast and making it a much more attractive affair in the (laughs) process uh matt you bloody angel um of editing oh without matt we are just broken glass with matt we are the hot and steamy passion that lay upon that broken glass we are a shattered ass in broken glass is what we are there um, but arse-based banter aside, we told you at the top, we'll tell you at the end, uh, Petros, if you'd be so kind as to remind the dear listeners where they can find us on the socials if they feel so inclined. At DefoeUPod, so that is Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Freds for all your good social interactings. We want to know what you thought about these films. We want to know what you want to hear in season two. We want to know what your thoughts are on Willem Dafoe. We want to know it all, baby. We want want to get to know you as well as Willem Dafoe. And somewhere else you can find us. You can drop us an email. So that is defoeupod at gmail.com. Amazing. So reach out. Get to know us. We can get to know you. Together we'll get to know Defoe. The Defoe Commotion train chugs along. We will see you next week for The Reckoning. I feel like I had an outro for this and I've forgotten what it is. Well, should we, should we, should, should, should we uh, encourage people to... Wait, subscribe. I, re- I remember exactly what it was. It's been a while since we've done an outro. Can you tell? <laughs> so we will see you next week for another episode of Getting Defoe You, where we cover the highs and the lows and all things Willem Defoe. Getting to Defoe You, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. Getting to foe you will start with Heaven's Gate. And we'll watch them all till the present day.